Welcome everybody to the Off the Tracks podcast. I am your host, Travis Miller of Boiler Upload. And with me tonight is a very special guest. No, it's not Corey Sheets. He is up in Saskatchewan getting honored as part of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We have a guest from rival site Go Iowa Awesome, Adam Jacoby. How are you doing tonight, Adam? I, I'm doing quite well. And it's it's nice to hear that Corey is joining the uh, the, the the long list of uh, Grey Cup MVPs. Uh, I personally was the 1954 Grey Cup MVP. Uh, still playing with the the Edmonton Eskimos at that time. And yeah, you know, we we really competed hard, and there there were a lot of uh, cold winter nights flying in those DC8s above the Prairie Mountains. But you know, it's the the glory's worth it. And and to see Corey join our our esteemed fraternity, our legacy. Boy, there, there's nothing that beats it, eh? Absolutely. And just about the only thing that does beat it is riding reindeer shuttle to the Indianapolis or Chicago airport from West Lafayette. As always, they are our sponsor. And uh, Adam, I like to just tell people to take reindeer shuttle because driving to the airport sucks. And I, I think you'll agree with that, don't you? Yeah, especially, you know, because reindeer shuttles, they, they fly, but it's it's just the one day, right? Just <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, usually, but, specialize. Uh, <laughs> you really yeah. got to plan these things out. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's why they we're glad that they could take a couple of trips a day between Lafayette and both Indianapolis and Chicago, because uh, the Purdue Airport does not currently have commercial service. I know they're working on it, but until then, definitely take Reindeer Shuttle. Uh, but enough about Reindeer Shuttle. We are here tonight to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes, and uh, I'm going to go right out and say it, Adam. What? Is the is the offense even any better this year at all? Well, no, but some of that has to do with the fact that really the Red Cross needs to step in for the offense at some point. <laughs> this is why we have Adam on. He is great with this. I, I love it. Caden McNamara, starting quarterback, is officially out for the year, blew out his knee in the Michigan State game, which was awful for him, especially with the injury history that he's had, not only while he was at Michigan, but some of the setbacks that he had along the way at Iowa. So he's still never been as healthy as he needs to be, or at the very least has not been that healthy while he's been in an Iowa uniform. So tough break for him, but he'll be back in 2024. Uh, Big play, Luke Lachey, the tight end, also gone for the year. Uh, he, He suffered a pretty nasty ankle break or lower leg break against uh, I believe it's Western Michigan and done there and, and awful for him. Top two running backs have been out for close to a month at this point. Although Caleb, Caleb Johnson should be back this week at the very least he has returned to practice whether or not he'll be good to go on Saturday that remains to be seen. But you see all these injuries piling up and especially when the starting quarterback doesn't have much more than a week or two of 11 on 11 practice with the receivers that he's really never thrown to before with the exception of Eric Hall. And the offense just never really got a chance to get on track. And so now that Deacon Hill is installed at quarterback for Iowa in a weird way, like I'm not, I'm not here to say that Cade McNamara getting injured is good, actually. 
for the Iowa offense because that's not the case. He he had won the starting job for a reason, but the drop off from McNamara to Deacon Hill just by way of Deacon having two healthy legs, having some mobility and having had probably more 11, 11 on 11 practice time with the ones than Cade did. The drop off is not going to be as drastic as a lot of fans are fearing. So there's that. Yeah. And uh, I know he at least got a chance last week to do something against Michigan state. Um, I, I watched about the second half of that game and it, wasn't the best offensive performance on either side, but he was able to get enough done to uh, secure the win. Yeah, he was. And a big part of that was the defense taking over in the second half as well. You can look at the three scoring drives that Iowa had in the second half with Deacon Hill running the offense. And that's great because that was enough to win the game. But those were all field goal drives and they netted a total of 29 yards. All Oof. of them, all of them started in or very, very close to Michigan state territory. And so you don't really have the luxury of saying, yeah, well, they were all short fields. So that's why the yardage wasn't that great because they were all field goals, right? They, they all involved a third down stop. So mm-hmm. I was still, has some work to do in terms of sustaining drives. and But that's been the case with McNamara under center, and it's the case with Hill under center. And at some point, especially when Iowa's receivers drop six passes out of the 32 attempts by both quarterbacks, at some point, it almost doesn't matter who's behind center, it doesn't matter who's calling the plays or what the plays are. At some point, if the ball hits you in the hands, you just got to catch it. So there's a lot of things that have contributed to Iowa's offensive shortcomings yet again. And yet the team is four and one and keeps finding ways to win games. Uh, in, in Kirk Ferentz's parlance, complimentary football, all three phases of the game. That's a uh, that's a bit of a mantra that has driven <laughs> Iowa fans crazy recently, just because the offense has been stuck in first gear for so long. But the team keeps winning, so there's only so much that those complaints still resonate in Iowa City. That reminds me of my high school basketball coach because he won more than 700 games over his career. He won a couple state championships. He's coached at a bunch of different schools, but he ran a 2-3 zone that would make Syracuse's 2-3 zone look like a uh, you know, a lockdown man-to-man defense and he did not care if he won a game 30 to 28. He once won a sectional game in double overtime 24 to 22 but he didn't care because he had the 24. And like you said, winning cures a lot of ills. And, uh, you know, they're like you said, they're winning games. And, you know, this past week, Cooper DeJean was one of the biggest reasons for doing that. I mean, that's a guy who doesn't play offense, and he has, what, four touchdowns over the last few seasons? That's right. Uh, four over the last, well, one and a third seasons, essentially. Uh, and And that is... You know, weapons are weapons, whether or not they're taking offensive snaps or not. The 
there is a portion of the fan base who's clamoring for DeGene to start to get offensive snaps too. But, you know, at the end of the day, one, we've seen what happens when the defense doesn't have him in the lineup. And that was Iowa's backups getting absolutely torched by Nebraska's passing offense of all offenses last year. And two, if DeGene is expending more energy over the course of a game, he's less likely to bust a supremely athletic return and, and touchdown like he did at the end of Saturday, right? That play happened with under five minutes left in the game. Does he still have that, you know, that juke and wiggle in him? Does he still have the, um, you know, the stamina to outrun everybody to that corner of the end zone, you know, after making those athletic moves, right? That's not... It, Maybe he does, probably he does, but it's not a sure thing. And once you start to essentially mortgage that end of game athleticism to try to get an extra edge on offense here or there, you're playing a dangerous game. And especially with a guy that hasn't been, you know, taking snaps on offense in practice or anything. So it doesn't have any, like, like nobody on offense would know how to work with him on the field at the time. And it's just not something that the Iowa coaching staff would be keen to just, you know, toss in, in the middle of a week or anything like that. And, and most coaching staffs wouldn't either. That's not a, it's not a fair and exclusive thing, but yeah, you know, Iowa finds ways to score points on defense, on special teams and Hey, points are points, right? Like it's defensive touchdowns. If they, if they counted double, then Iowa would try to score those even more, right? So, uh, it's if if the points all score the same, then then a team like Iowa is going to score in all three phases of the game. And I, I know one of the things that kind of stands out with this Iowa Purdue thing is Purdue's had a lot of success getting offensive guys from Iowa. Last year, obviously, Charlie Jones was the story. This year, it's Tyrone Tracy, who mm-hmm. was kind of uh, an afterthought last season. This year, he has a touchdown in all five games. He has a kickoff return for a touchdown. You know, from your perspective, what? how frustrating is that, knowing Iowa's offensive struggles, and then you see now two guys come over, and they are very large contributors to a divisional rival? Well, in, in, a, in a way it sort of validates their decision, right? Because, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, Charlie Jones was never going to be that productive at Iowa, even if the quarterbacks were throwing at him on every snap last season. And Tyrone Tracy would probably not be having opportunities like this in the black and gold still. At the very least, the production probably wouldn't be there as readily as it is for him right now. And so from an Iowa perspective on some level, you know, you sort of wish that that production was happening in an Iowa uniform as, as opposed to a Purdue uniform. But at the same time, Iowa had other, you know, talented scholarship receivers last year. Iowa has talented running backs this year. That talent level is not where Iowa has been lacking. 
it's been execution on the line. It's been execution at quarterback. It's been a little uninspired play calling more so last year than this year. We, there is actually, I, and I, man, I know all the Brian Ferentz jokes. I've heard them every single day for the last, I would say 27 months. I've heard them all like, I'm sure (laughs) I'm not, I'm not like I'm dancing around it out of pure exhaustion at this point. It's, it's like, it becomes like punching a hornet's nest for, for a laugh. Like it's so aggravating. So sure. Yeah. uh, What's a good way to put this? The play calling has been more aggressive this year, but it hasn't resulted in better production. And in a way, it's even, I don't want to say even worse, because last year was dire. And this year has different challenges, even though those challenges end up manifesting in the same way, which is on the scoreboard. Um, Iowa is at the very least trying. <laughs> but <laughs> there there are aspects of the offense that are still badly outdated. And it the offense and the line are not at the physical point that Iowa's lines typically are for whatever reason. And so the third and long offense is a disaster at this point. And the between the tackle rushing offense is also not where it needs to be. And excuse me, I think they've got one first down on rushes between the tackles, which is astonishing about a, you know, a team like Iowa. And, you know, that might be sort of a lingering effect of the strength and conditioning coach, Chris Doyle, a legend in strength and conditioning, getting ousted in 2020 as a part of that, um, you know, racial harassment scandal that was going on too. So there's a lot of different ways that Iowa is sort of trying to play catch up. Uh, But at the end of the day, Brian Ferentz has been the scapegoat's not the right word because he, he absolutely has a lot of responsibility in it, but he's, he's become sort of the lightning rod for a lot of the criticism because people don't really know where else to go with it. And I, it doesn't, it doesn't seem out of place for a running back slash wide receiver like Tracy or a wide receiver like Jones or, or any other skill position player it's not out of the ordinary for them to say, you know what? I don't want to be part of that. And, uh, you know, I, I have an opportunity to go to an offense that, you know, one, I'm, I'm going to be higher up in the depth chart Two, I'm going to be more productive and, you know, three, I'm still in the same conference, same division. So it's not like it's, you know, a commensurate step down or anything like that. It's a decision that made sense for both those players. And, and, ended up rewarding them and Iowa had other guys get playing time that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So, you know, I, I don't think fans look at it in a way that says, you know, Charlie Jones did well, the timing of Charlie Jones rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way. Tracy, not so much. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody denigrating Tracy for the choice that he made, especially because he wasn't getting the snaps at Iowa. And with and Jones, he didn't get a ton of snaps last year with Purdue's exactly. offense either. 
Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and the Jones thing, that was strictly a matter of how close to the season that it happened. Like, that's it. That's all. And, you know, people like to get worked up about little details that aren't, you know, perfect, but that's life on the internet for you, right? <laughs> we wouldn't know anything about that. I mean, no. it, it sounds like with uh, Brian Ferentz, Sounds very, very familiar with the refrain that a lot of Purdue fans have with Matt Painter of, yeah, you're great in the Big Ten season, but the last few years you've lost to a 13, a 15, and a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. What have you done for us lately? And they're similar measures. I mean, at some point you've got to prove it if you're going to move to that next level. And, you know, like you said, Ferentz – and company there you guys are still winning games i mean you look like a team that could still win eight games even with this offense too and i think that stems with the defense now is the defense this year as good as it was last year or has it taken a slight step back it's taken a slight step back both in certain productions and ultimately in scoring defense some of that has to do with the fact that one of their five games was against drew aller who does Purdue play Penn State this year? No, not this year. Be thankful for that. Uh, <laughs> if, if Purdue plays them next year, look out. Because that dude, I, all, all due respect to JD, JJ McCarthy, but Drew Aller's the best quarterback in the Big Ten, and it's probably not close. It's, it's almost certainly not close. That dude makes every throw he wants to, even against a secondary like Iowa's. So... Some of that lack of production comes from that. Uh, Iowa also only has three sacks on the year, which I I took out my calculator. I ran some advanced math, <clears throat> uh, a lot of very complicated algebra, uh, calculus, uh, non-Euclidean geometry. Uh, I oh even, wow! Oh yeah, it's and what I the what I finally came up with with my proprietary advanced formula is that three sacks is not as good as the 17 sacks that Purdue has. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I was a liberal arts major at Purdue, so I'm not one of those fancy engineers that has, you know, one of those degrees. But I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. I'll have to go back to Math 151 and uh, confirm that. But, you know, you're right. Purdue's, Purdue's defense, though, has been a little bit feast or famine. You know, you mentioned yeah. the 17 sacks. Uh, you also had Garrett Schrader ran for 200 yards on him. Uh, you know, you had uh, Tanner Mordecai was getting loose in the secondary and everything else. And uh, yeah. that's my biggest worry is they were better last week against Illinois, but Purdue's defense is still susceptible to a quarterback that can move in the pocket, get outside, keep plays alive. Is that something that Deacon Hill can do? Surprisingly, yes. And I say surprisingly because – Iowa moved the pocket more effectively with Hill, who is 260 pounds and looks like he's 260 pounds. Moved the pocket with him more effectively just because he wasn't dragging one bad leg along with him. And on some level, if you want to play quarterback, that that just baseline of mobility can be the difference between a sack and a throwaway or a scramble for three or four yards uh, and, or, you know, putting your shoulder into a defensive back who's 80 pounds lighter than you. 
So Iowa will be more likely to move a pocket now that Deacon Hill is under center than with Cade McNamara under center, which is a sentence that nobody would have expected back in January or, or February for so many reasons, but it, but it is true. And going back to what I was saying about the defense earlier, some of that lack of sack production also comes from the fact that teams have sort of figured out that the only, I I shouldn't say the only, the most reliable way to move the ball on the Iowa defense is short passes to the perimeter. And a lot of that has to do with, Iowa defending from the inside out as opposed to vice versa, right? You, you want to take away the middle of the field before you try to take away the sidelines because you get more yards per pass throwing the ball vertically as opposed to horizontally. Um, or, or you get more yards gain. You gain more yards for how long the ball's in the air. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, we're, we're getting into that advanced Euclidean geometry again. Yeah, yeah. So I, the way Iowa defends, if you want to throw the ball against them, you do it quickly and you do it with, you know, out routes and everything. And you're still playing a dangerous game at that point, but it's more reliable than trying to run the ball on these guys unless you've got Penn State's offensive line or, or otherwise trying to attack the middle of the field. So the defense is still good. And now that Jamari Harris, the cornerback, starting opposite Cooper Jean. Now that he is in his, well, he's played three games back from uh, missing 2022 with injury and then missing the first couple of weeks to a gambling suspension. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that that's nothing in the, in the long run. <laughs> no. Well, that's, that's a very sore subject in Iowa City. We'll put it that way. I'm sure. <laughs> now that he is pressing less and has cleaned up a lot of his susceptibility to uh, the big play, it's really difficult to move the ball on Iowa. You look at the fourth quarter of Michigan State's game against Iowa. Um, I believe three of the Spartans' four turnovers, either two or three of the four turnovers, were in that fourth quarter. A uh, bunch of false starts. Um, really they, they came unglued and became sort of crowd food in that fourth quarter. And I was capable of doing that to Purdue. I was capable of doing it to a whole lot of offenses in the big 10. And since the game is at Kinnick, you know, it's not going to be under the lights the way Michigan state was, but you know, Kinnick gets a certain atmosphere, especially as the game goes on, especially as the shadows get longer and Purdue has to be ready for that one way or another because the sacks might not be there, especially if Purdue wants to throw the ball quickly because that is sort of the formula for success. But the pressures are still there, and ultimately quarterbacks are not throwing very productively against this offense quite yet. And and there's even been at least one pick six, maybe two. And that's a... You know, part of that is forcing bad throws, taking advantage of those mistakes. Like, this is still the Iowa defense, even though they're missing so much talent 
you know, you look at Jack Campbell, who went the first round to the Lions and who's already playing for them. Um, Lucas Van Ness, first rounder, Green Bay, already playing for them, you know, contributing. Um, Justin Jacobs transferred to Oregon. Seth Benson was a, a sixth year senior also at linebacker. You know, this is, and uh, Noah Shannon, another defensive tackle who should have been back for his sixth year, out for the year with a gambling suspension. That's a developing story. And in again, we're talking about a sore subject for Iowa fans because it was a basically state of Iowa only investigation. And that's a lot of talent to try to replace. And it takes a little bit of time, especially with first year starters and or in the case of Nick Jackson, who transferred from UVA, he was a three time all ACC linebacker and he's been incredibly productive already. But this is now his fourth defensive coordinator and it's his first year in the system, which is different from anything that he ran at Virginia. Right. So there's a little bit of an adjustment period for him too. He's, he's mostly up to speed and he's been making, you know, more plays each week than he was the prior week because he's that smart of a dude and and that productive of a player. But you know, it's still not the same as having Jack Campbell back there, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It, it's still not the same as having a freak like Lucas Van Ness, right? There, there aren't a whole lot of freaks on that Iowa defensive line, especially now with um, Shannon out and probably now upgraded to probably out for the year. Uh, you know, it, that level of OMG game-breaking mismatch isn't quite there. So it, you know, it sort of regresses into a, well, okay, now the defense has to work as a unit, as an 11-person unit, more often, more frequently. And it's doing a pretty good job of that. But it's not that dominating, punish every mistake defense quite yet. And so there probably is some avenue for Purdue to score a few points on Saturday. But it will be tough. I'll just, I'll warn you guys right now, it's going to be tough. <laughs> well, that, that kind of gets into my final question here. Um, the last two years has basically been a bad Iowa, good Iowa game. You know, two years ago, Purdue rolls in there. Iowa's ranked number two. Purdue got up, hit a couple scores, and then just waited for the Iowa defense or Iowa offense to do nothing. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what happened. Then last year, Iowa comes to Purdue. They get up a couple scores and the defense just sat on Purdue's head the rest of the afternoon. You know, do you see kind of something similar happening, either good or bad for Iowa? Yeah, it's really going to come down to which team gets a lead first. Iowa is something absurd, like 65 and two over the last six, seven years. No, well, if it's that long or if it's that big of a score, it'd be more than six years but over the last seven or eight years like 65 and two in games where it has even an eight point lead that's it just eight points it's an almost automatic guaranteed victory for iowa it's it's like playing against a boa constrictor on the flip side iowa is not really built to overcome multi-score deficits because the offense is that bad Mm -hmm. Or I should say, 
struggling that much with productivity through the first <laughs> through the first five weeks of the season. They they all think they're close. Whenever we talk to them every week, they're they're close. They're cleaning up little things that they see. Maybe maybe produce the week that they put it all together. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Uh, but Caleb Johnson did go for 200 yards last year. So when you said he's back uh, and he's probably going to play this week, I'm not too excited about that. That's fair. And so that that is going to be a factor. But at the same time, LeSean Williams, who's been filling in for him at running back, has been pretty productive to an extent. But he's also finding it hard to get a whole lot of yards running up the middle and Part of that is just Iowa doesn't have quite that level of physicality that it has in years past, even though the matchup mistakes have sort of dissipated to an extent, right? There, there aren't as many disasters as Iowa had last year and the year prior. So that all said, I could see a situation where Purdue gets up 14 nothing early by exploiting something that it's seen on film in you know, Purdue typically wins the Iowa game by finding one weakness and just spamming that over and over until Iowa stops it or doesn't stop it in the case of David Bell. And that might be the case here. And it might be the case that Purdue doesn't have a hole to exploit and Iowa gets up big or <laughs> big <laughs> eight points. And, and that becomes that. So yeah, I, I do think this is going to be a case where, you know, I don't want to say the first to 10 wins, but the first to a 10-point lead wins, I would say. That's how I felt all the whole time, honestly. Yeah. Whoever gets up 10 has got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, because I don't think either team is equipped to make up that level of deficit against the other team. Yeah. Well, Adam, I do thank you for uh, being on our podcast this week, kind of last minute, but uh, I appreciate you stopping by. Do you have anything else you want to add before uh, we let you go? Yeah, I, I will add two things. Uh, first and foremost, uh, if for any, everything Iowa Hawkeyes related, please go to goiowaawesome.com or iowa.rivals.com. And secondly, Iowa should play Noah Shannon right away, as soon as he's healthy. Noah Shannon was suspended and had his appeal denied by the NCAA in a gambling investigation. The NCAA announced today that it's going to retroactively consider removing punishments for gambling uh, if it doesn't involve gambling on your own team, which was the case with Noah. But they're going to consider it. It's going to be a draft until the middle of the week, and then they're going to vote on it at the end of October. Noah Shannon is a sixth-year senior who has already had the first five games of his season taken away by this penalty that has only affected the state of Iowa, that has only affected among BC, or among FBS schools, Iowa and Iowa State, which was launched by the uh, Racing and Gaming Commission in the shadiest way possible. Everything about it stinks. And for the NCAA to come in after denying his appeal, say, oh, yeah, actually, we are going to retroactively think about taking that punishment away from you, but you're going to have to wait until the end of October for us to vote on it. 
That's unacceptable to me. I think Noah Shannon should be playing right away. And Kirk Ferentz, who has never had an NCAA violation or anything close to it in his 25 years at Iowa, I would love to see him break that streak by playing Noah Shannon as soon as he's healthy, hopefully even Saturday. Because this is a sixth-year senior who admitted what he did wrong, did something that is the, one, it's not even illegal, and two, is the NCAA equivalent of, like, underage drinking. And had his season taken away, and now he gets jerked around even more like this, that to me is unacceptable. I'm going to be writing about this on Go Iowa Awesome tonight. Uh, I think Iowa needs to look at all the middle fingers that the state of Iowa, the Racing and Gaming Commission, and the NCAA has thrown at Noah Shannon and at the school and throw one back to him. So that's the second thing that I'd like to plug. To heck with the NCAA. Play Noah Shannon, free Noah Shannon, and read us at Go Iowa Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Adam. Uh, for those that don't know, Adam was a uh, former SB Nation guy, a lot like myself when I was at Hammer and Rails. He's the one that helped me start Hammer and Rails. So uh, if you're listening, you know, and you've been a fan of us for a long time, you can uh, congratulate Adam for getting us along. If uh, you're a hater that came across this and are mad that uh, we took over it, at the rival site. I'm sorry. You can blame Adam and direct that to, uh, Iowa. Awesome. But stay uh, mad. (laughs) So for Adam and myself, I am Travis Miller of boiler upload. We thank you for listening. We thank you for considering our sponsors, home field apparel, go there, use code boiler upload, buy lots of stuff. And, uh, also thank you for reindeer shuttle for their sponsorship for us. And, uh, we will see what happens on Saturday. So, With all that in mind, this is Travis Miller saying, Boiler Up!